Today I'll be preaching from the book of Zephaniah chapter 2. Zephaniah chapter 2. And I'll be reading from verse 1 down to verse number 7. Zephaniah chapter 2 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Gather yourselves together. Yea, gather together, O nation not desired. Before the decree bring forth. Before the day pass as the chaff. Before the fierce anger of the Lord come upon you. Before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you. Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. For Gaza shall be forsaken, and Ashkelon a desolation. They shall drive out Ashdod at the noonday, and Ekron shall be rooted up. War unto the inhabitants of the seacoast, the nation of the Cherethites. The word of the Lord is against you. O Canaan, the land of the Philistines, I will even destroy thee, that there shall be no inhabitant. And the seacoast shall be dwellings and cottages for shepherds, folds for flocks. And the coast shall be for the remnant of the house of Judah. They shall feed thereupon. In the houses of Ashkelon shall they lie down in the evening. For the Lord their God shall visit them and turn away their captivity. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. We thank you for the privilege we have to hear from you today. And I pray, dear Lord, that you would speak to the mighty power of your Holy Spirit and that every heart would be receptive. Save some lost soul. Stir the heart of every believer. Give me the words you'll have me to say. Cleanse me of sin. Empty me of self. Fill me with your precious Holy Spirit that I may preach what thus said the Lord. And we'll be careful to give you all the honor and praise for you alone are worthy of it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. In sports, the ability to respond to the opponent's actions or moves quickly and efficiently are essential for success. We often say that that individual has good reflexes. For example, a sport like tennis is a cycle of action and response. The ability to respond quickly, thoughtfully, and precisely all play a role in whether the player will win or lose the point the game, or the match. But responses are not only important in sports, but they are important in all of life. They are critically important, for example, in relationships. They are key in arguments, resolving conflict. They are key in whether an existing problem gets worse. Response is also important in how we deal with disappointment, criticism, unfair treatment, and failure. It is also key in how we deal with success, how we deal with compliments and our own happiness. Hear me and hear me well when it comes to this matter of response. A response to an action is at least as critical or even more critical in determining the outcome of a situation 
than the initial action itself. This is because the ultimate result of an action can be completely different or altered simply based on the response. As this is true in life, this issue of response is also important and true in the realm of spiritual warfare. You and I find ourselves in the middle of a war that is raging. A war that is raging between right and wrong. Between good and evil. And as we have seen, this, this war, my friend, was started in heaven by Satan himself. His desires and his actions got him and a third of the angels kicked out of heaven. And since that time, his agenda has been to oppose and to hinder the plan of Almighty God. What does that mean for you and me? It means that his ultimate objective is to destroy lives. That includes yours. That includes minds. He also wants to destroy every aspect of creation and every creature that God has created. Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. As we continue to examine the various aspects of this war, today I want us to continue to examine, which we began last week, considering the response of Almighty God to Satan's schemes, to his actions. Understand very clearly that God has a response to Satan's opposition to his plan. But before we could adequately examine God's response, it was important, as we did last week, to recall a number of key attributes of Almighty God. I'm going to just mention them at this point, and I want you to kind of keep them in the back of your mind, and we'll expound on them as we get into the message. But we looked at God's holiness, his righteousness, his justice, and his love. And we saw that his love is manifested through his mercy and his grace. These are going to be important as we dig a little deeper and we consider and examine God's response to Satan's rebellion. Now, last time, as I said, we examined the attributes of God. Today, I want us to look at the actions of Almighty God. We'll have just time to look at one action of God today. So I want you to jot down the action of Almighty God. How did God respond? How is God responding to Satan's rebellion? Now I want you to understand that God responds, first of all, with righteous anger. Righteous anger. Now we have an example of God's righteous anger being documented in Zephaniah chapter 2 
And in our text in which we read, and I want to draw your attention to just a few verses to understand the seriousness of the anger of God and the urgency with which the prophet Zephaniah spoke to the nation of Israel that had rebelled against God. Zephaniah was prophesying of the Babylonian captivity which would overcome the nation of Israel if they did not change their ways. Now notice God's anger at sin in verse number 1 and 2. Notice what the Bible says. Gather yourselves together, yea, gather together, O nation not desired, before the decree bring forth, before the day pass as the chaff, before the fierce anger of the Lord come upon you before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you. Zephaniah repeats this by way of uh, emphasis to say that, listen, this matter is urgent. This matter is serious. The anger of the Lord is about to be unleashed upon you because God is angry at your rebellion. Notice that what the words in verse number 5 Woe unto the inhabitants of the seacoast, the nation of the Cherethites. The word of the Lord is against you. O Canaan, the land of the Philistines, I will even destroy thee, that there shall be no inhabitant. He says, even those nations that have come against Israel and have raised their, their, their might against Israel, that because of the wrath and the anger of God, they will be destroyed. Oftentimes, we love to hear about the love of God, but my friend, God also exhibits righteous anger. Now, we want to look at this matter of righteous anger by way of asking a few questions. First of all, what is righteous anger? Now, we know what anger is because we experience it as human beings, but I qualify it very importantly and distinctly, as it relates to God, as righteous anger. What is righteous anger? Now, first of all, understand that when sin shows up, the God of the universe has righteous anger in response to sin. It's also referred to as righteous indignation. In other words, when God is angry at sin, he is rightly angry. He is appropriately angry. His anger is perfectly and completely justified in every way. It is also manifested in a way that is completely free from sin. One commentator describes it as being angry at all things that oppose God, unrighteousness, evil, idolatry, impurity and sin in the world without being motivated by sin. I want to notice something in this text in which we read that God in exhibiting righteous anger was not gloating in his ability to destroy them. God was not even taking pleasure in his wrath being poured out on his People. On the contrary, while God was demonstrating righteous anger, 
he was calling them at the same time to repentance. Now look at verse number 3. This is in the middle of his anger and his wrath. His righteous anger at the rebellion of his people. Yet within the expression and the communication of that anger, the Bible says in verse number 3, Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness. Seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. That's righteous anger. God is still warning them about their sin, but telling them, listen, turn back to me. Come back to me. It may be that you will experience mercy and grace. Seek the Lord while he is angry. He's giving this invitation. Now, let's compare this with unrighteous anger. We as human beings understand the emotion of anger. Anger is not a sin. But it becomes sin when it is motivated by pride and hurt. Notice that God, in the middle of his anger, was still concerned about the people on whom his anger would be poured out. But when it comes to unrighteous anger, we put ourselves in the center of the situation and it becomes about us. When that happens, my friend, that is unrighteous anger. When this happens, our anger leads to jealousy and envy, resentment, animosity, malice, hatred of people, Wishing evil. It leads to an unforgiving spirit. It leads to bitterness and disrespect. My friend, these are elements that show up when our anger is not of the righteous nature. It is of unrighteous anger. You ever hear a response to God's word? I don't care what the Bible says. I am never talking to them again the longest day I live. That's anger for sure. And it is not righteous anger. When a person makes that statement, well, what if the person repents? What if there's a change of heart? That's why Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26 says, Be angry and Sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. You see, my friend, righteous anger wants actions and attitudes to be in alignment with what God wants. And it acts to bring that about. It does not act to bring shame and hurt to people. It understands that there are consequences to sin and desires to respond in the way that God would. Righteous anger desires to lead people away from sin to show them the path of righteousness. If you ever find yourself not caring whether people change or not, that's the result of unrighteous anger. 
Listen to how Peter describes the Lord in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that some should come to repentance. Is that what he says? No. It says God, while he understands that sin is terrible and he has righteous anger against sin, even in the middle of the pouring of his wrath and his anger against sin, God is still long-suffering and willing that all who have sinned would come to repentance. That's righteous anger, my friend. But now that we've looked at what righteous anger is, Let's examine why does God express righteous anger. Now in order to understand why God is righteously angry, you have to recall with me the attributes of God of holiness and righteousness. You see why I told you it's important to understand who God is to understand why he responds how he responds. Holiness, as we can recall, is his absolute purity. God is completely free of sin. He's perfect in every way. His righteousness is manifested in the law of God and his actions in accordance with it. Understand that his law and his actions in response to his law are perfect. So when you examine God's holiness, you examine God's righteousness. This should help us to understand the reality that God hates sin. Sin is not a part of who he is. He does not want it to be a part of his creation. He does not want it to be a part of his created beings. That includes you. That includes me. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 15 and 16. Listen to what the Bible says. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye, what? Holy in all manner of conversation. Because as it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. That's a reference to Old Testament passage in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44 and 45. We looked at that last week. So God who is holy, God who is righteous, want his children, his people, his offices, his created beings to be as he is. Well, that's a very natural desire, isn't it? For those of us who have children, don't we want our children to be like us? When that child is born, the parent, whether mother or father, takes pride in, oh, he has my nose. I'm looking at all the babies and I'm like, all of them look alike to me. I can't detect anything. It takes me a few years before I can see some resemblance. But we take pleasure in, uh, this one looks like me or this one looks like me or this one has this trait that I have. But we want them to be like us, particularly when we think that it is something good. We want them to embrace the things we value. We want them to like the things we like. We want them to embrace the things we believe in. I mean, we look around at our world and we see that oftentimes children 
I don't know how often it is, but it happens, follow in the career paths of their parents. And when that happens, listen, these parents are proud. I don't mean that in a negative way. The fact that their children have walked in their footsteps. Some time ago, I saw Serena Williams, who we know is considered the greatest female tennis player of all time. And her daughter couldn't be more than one or two years old, might have been younger, and she already had a tennis racket in that girl's hand, teaching her how to hit the ball and how to swing and at that age. Why? There's a desire for our children to follow in our footsteps. Well, my friend, God who is holy, God who is righteous, wants us to have the same trait. And his desires for you and for me are completely pure. So when it comes to God's righteous anger, it should be helpful for us to understand why does God respond as he does in Zephaniah chapter 2 against his people who are rebelling, who are overrun by sin. We've looked at what righteous anger is. We looked at why righteous anger exists. But I want us to look at a few additional examples that how God's righteous anger is manifested. Just a few examples. We see one here in Zephaniah chapter 2. But turn with me in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 32. And I want us to pay attention at what God was angry at. You know, when you know somebody, it's better, easier to get along with them. Because you know what they like and what they don't like. You know what makes them upset and what makes them happy. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, it's a lifelong journey. But Numbers chapter 32. And verse number 13. The Bible says, And the, and the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was consumed. Understand the context here was that God had brought his children miraculously out of the land of Egypt across the Red Sea. A journey that should have taken a couple days because of their rebellion, because of their disobedience, because of their complaining, because of their longing for Egypt, because of their lack of faith about his ability to take them to the promised land after all that they had seen, the consequences were that God allowed them to wander for 40 years until all of them were dead. Because of the anger of the Lord. Do we find ourselves wandering in our lives? Unable to make the progress that we want to? Could it be that God's anger is being kindled for the very same reasons? He's angry at our rebellion. He's angry at disobedience. 
He's angry at complaining. He's angry at lack of faith. My friend, when we look around at society today, I am, I am, I am, I am genuinely afraid for the anger of the Lord, my friend, because there is a prevalence, there is an overabundance of a stubbornness that exists in the hearts of people that says to the word of God, I shall not be moved. my friend as God was angry at his people because of the nature of almighty God his attributes of holiness and righteousness don't think that his response is going to be any different look at another example in Matthew's gospel chapter 21 Matthew chapter 21 and verse number 12. Jesus, while here on earth doing his earthly ministry, the Bible says in verse number 12, he went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. Now Jesus, no, we, we don't have this picture of Jesus too often. He goes into the temple and his anger is kindled his righteous anger and he just starts turning over tables getting whipped and driving people out of the temple this is righteous anger now what is he angry at he's angry because the house of the lord was being dishonored there was extortion going on. There was idolatry going on. There was a love of money. There was scheming. And he got angry. Is the house of the Lord honored and reverenced when we enter? Is worship taken seriously? Have our phones become our idols? What do we think God's response would be to the very same actions that brought about his anger? My friend, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I'm glad that God is a God of love and mercy and grace. But God is also a God that responds to sin with righteous anger. We've looked at what this righteous anger is. We've looked at why, why it exists. We've seen how it manifests itself. My friend, but what, 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 what does this mean for us? What then? What, what, what is the application for you and me when we examine the righteous anger of God in his response to sin? 
What it means for us is that we, in desiring to please God, to honor God, to love God, we are to be angry at the things that God hates. We are to be angry, first of all, at sin. Sin ought to make us angry. But here's first and foremost what we ought to be angry at when it comes to sin. We ought to be angry at our own sin. We ought to respond to our own sin, my friend, with righteous anger. We ought to be angry at sin that affects the church. We ought to be angry at sin that affects our community. We ought to be angry at sin that affects our country, that affects our world. We ought to look around and see what is doing in destroying lives and we ought to be angry about it. We ought to be angry enough at sin not to condone it, not to excuse it, not to cuddle it, not to take it lightly. My friend, let me say categorically, we ought to hate sin. But there's an important demarcation that we ought to hate sin but love people. You know, oftentimes we get this mixed up. Sometimes it's hard for us to be able to know how do we draw the line or how do we express uh, ourselves to, to, to show that, listen, what we are hating and what we are, we, are, we are upset about is not the person but it's the sin that's destroying the person. You know, oftentimes when you express hatred for sin, it can come across as hatred for people. And that's where we have to be careful. And it doesn't mean that your actions are always going to be interpreted rightly. But there's an important distinction to be made. You see, my friend, righteous anger wants to see people not be destroyed by the effects of sin. So what, what ought we to do in response to this anger that, that, that ought to be rightly placed against sin? Here's what we ought to do. Help people avoid it. Sometimes that's hard. Because listen, sometimes when you, 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 you approach people and you try to help them to avoid it, when it seems to come across as criticism and condemnation, it's not easy. But we got to help people avoid the destruction of sin, my friend. We got to pray that people would avoid it. This is one of the great ways to pray for your enemies. Pray that they would turn away from sin. And mean it. You know, I, I'm convinced that some people, when they're praying for their enemies, they're saying, Lord, listen, let's strike them down. 
Pray for their repentance. Pray that they would turn to God. That's righteous anger. You know, if they turn to God, your problem might be solved. Would be solved, actually. Help people get liberated from the bondage of sin. And here's something so very important. All of us are subject to this flesh that desires sin. This flesh that, that fights against the, the working of the Holy Spirit. But here's what we must do when it comes to this matter of sin and understanding its effects on our lives. Listen, accept help when it's being offered. Because ultimately, an individual has to make a personal choice to turn from sin and to turn to righteousness and holiness. Listen, it's easy to wish that you could just snap your fingers and sin would just be a non-issue. And everybody would be holy and righteous. But every person must make a conscious decision for themselves to turn from sin and turn to righteousness. Turn to holiness. To respond to the admonition. We saw in Zephaniah God pleading with his people that, that my wrath is going to be poured out. My anger is already kindled. But, but, but the time is running out to respond. Seek mercy. Seek righteousness. Seek holiness. In the middle of righteous anger. God has a number of responses to this matter of sin. It's important we understand the response of his righteous anger. There's some things that we ought to be angry at. And sometimes this may sound odd, but it's true. Sometimes the reason why people don't change and we don't change the way God wants us to change is that we have not yet gotten angry enough at the things that are destroying us. We have not getting, gotten angry enough at those sins that beset us and those things that hinder us. And when we are angry in the way that God is angry, with righteous anger, righteous anger leads to righteousness. It leads to a holy life. Why? Because if you're disgusted enough with something, the response would naturally be to turn away from it and to align with God. God has a response. And we'll see a number of additional responses of God. But today, let's consider that this holy God, this righteous God, has a hatred for sin.
required because sin destroys. Sin defeats. Sin disrupts. Sin devours. And God does not want that for you. He doesn't want that for me. He wants his creation and his created beings to have the same attributes as himself. And when that does not happen, he responds with righteous anger. Let's endeavor to respond like God. And when we do that, our lives will naturally align with his will and his purpose and his plan for our lives.